0: So we've been looking at Joshua, loyal leader, Joshua, loyal leader. Tonight, uh, we will uh, look down uh, further in Joshua chapter number 10. So if you want to turn your Bibles to Joshua chapter number 10, we will get there uh, in just a few moments, but I'll do a quick review. And of course, we are in that time in Israel's history, Uh, Moses has now transitioned And Joshua is uh, the leader. Moses has gone to be with the Lord. Joshua is now in the leadership of the children of Israel. We talked about Joshua's preparation. Many years, much experience, many ways in which God prepared Joshua for the responsibility of leading the children of Israel. And we've spent some time talking about the importance of preparation Preparation can be some of the most difficult times in our lives because we get in a hurry, we want to get ahead of God, we think that we are ready and maybe God says no you're not or there's further preparation for something we don't know about that's coming that God wants us to be ready for, something that we have no idea is coming, that God is uh, preparing us, some area of responsibility, of leadership, whatever it might be. And that time of preparation can be difficult because we can get impatient and we can get ahead of the Lord. We can get out of the will of God if we're not careful. But Joshua stayed faithful. He stayed loyal to God, loyal to God's word and loyal to God's authorities in his life. He remained submissive. He remained obedient. And God prepared him each step of the way. We see some of those areas of preparation. Serving under Moses. Going up into Mount Sinai, though he did not go as far up as Moses, he was there between Israel and Moses as God was giving the law. He was one of the 12 spies. He brought back a good report. He was a man of faith and fidelity. And then God gave him experience as leader. He was chosen to lead in Moses' place. We spent some time in Numbers 27 last week, and he was... Identified as, obviously, Moses' minister, as a man with experience in leadership, but also he was a spirit-led man. And there was clearly the Holy Spirit's leadership and influence in Joshua's life. And this is key, because Joshua understood, and he had to come to grips with this reality as he faced the fears, and the obstacles, and the unknowns, he was going to lead Israel into Canaan to conquer the land, and there were a few things that Joshua was going to have to lead Israel in obedience to before they would ever cross the Jordan River. So he's encouraged to be courageous. This is a big responsibility. We can read all through Joshua 1 and see the emphasis on being strong in the Lord, and being courageous, and to not be in fear, to not be dismayed, for the Lord thy God is with thee, whithersoever thou goest, Joshua 1 and verse 9, Joshua 1 and verse 8, this book the law shall not depart out of thy mouth. So we see the emphasis on obeying the word of God, on trusting the Lord, and then there were some things, some specific responsibilities, duties, areas of obedience that Joshua had to lead Israel in before they could ever enter the promised land. Uncomfortable, not the most popular decisions, but areas that needed to be addressed, that they needed leadership in, that needed to be taken care of as matters of obedience. Circumcision, keeping the Passover, and then Joshua himself came face to face with the angel of the Lord, the captain of the Lord's host, a Christophany. And the question is asked there in Joshua 5, as Joshua sees this man with the sword and he says, on what side are you on, on the, the armies of the Lord or on the, in, in the, the place of our enemy? And the Lord of hosts said, nay, neither one, but I'm the captain of the, the host of the Lord. And Joshua immediately realized he was looking at the angel of the Lord, a Christophany. Now, we understand it as a Christophany. He, from his Old Testament perspective, maybe did not understand it that way. But he knew this was the angel of the Lord, and he bowed down, he worshipped, and he determined he was going to be on the Lord's side. It wasn't about him telling the captain of the Lord's host Hey, you're going to be a great fighter. Can you join our army and fight for us? Joshua realized he needed to be on the Lord's side. And we sing that song, as we mentioned it last week, who is on the Lord's side. And it's about us getting on God's side, not us treating God like some genie in a bottle and us dictating to the Lord and how we have this word faith movement and this ability that some people think that they have to speak their destiny into existence because they have just the right words, like some sort of magic code to get God to do every, anything that they want him to do. No, it's not like that at all. It's Joshua submitting to the hands of the Lord, to this Christophany, to God himself, submitting to the Lord and getting on God's side and obeying. And we see once again how the Lord often leads us by his word. And we get into a place, I've seen it over and over in my life. And some of you can probably give example, give testimony of how God gives you a rima. A word from himself, from the word of God. There's the logos, the general revelation of God. But sometimes we talk about the rima, the specific promise. I know over and over in my life, God has dealt with me in times of transition, as I wasn't even aware exactly of what God was about to do in my life. But I think of specific sermons. I think of specific verses. I think of passages of scripture that God has used in preparing my heart for something that I did not even realize immediately until later, that God was working in such a way to, show me his will to help me to know and to obey. And we see that over and over in scripture. We see that in our life as God leads us. And we sing about that day by day with each passing moment, strength I need to meet my trials here. And there's the day by day faithful obedience and in obeying in that next right step, God gives us the next command, the next principle the next place of service, and we see that in Joshua's life. He submitted to the angel of the Lord, the captain of the Lord's host, and then it was time to cross the Jordan River, and it was time to conquer the promised land, the land of Canaan, and this was going to take faith and obedience In some unusual ways. The very first city is Jericho. We know the story. What an unusual military strategy. They cross the Jordan River. They put the memorial stones down to remember that this is what God has done in parting the river. They come across. They have the orders as to how to conquer Jericho. And it doesn't involve big catapults with rocks thrown over the walls or battering rams to break down the gates or some sort of other kind of military warfare to knock down the walls. Again, in our vernacular, it'd be heat-seeking missiles, F-16s, rockets, missiles. Obviously, they didn't have those kinds of armaments back then. No, God said march around one time for seven days, and on the seventh day, march around seven times. And in the meantime, while you're marching around, you've got to be quiet, and then you blow the trumpets, and then let me do the rest. Unusual strategy, but it was a matter of faith and obedience, and we have to do in this world some unusual things that are clearly obedience to the Word of God, to the principles of God's Word, that are highly unusual in our culture today. I was talking with Pastor Bond last night about, and it's just what we, what we as preachers do. we, we talk about certain things and doctrines and issues and areas that we as pastors are concerned and uh, dealing with and we talked about some very similar areas where we as independent fundamental baptist churches were distinct and we're different for a reason based on conviction based upon doctrine based upon biblical truth and it makes us a little odd it makes us a little unusual But I tell you, it was an encouragement as the two of us sat there and we were talking that we were determined that we were going to continue to remain faithful to the Word of God. And he's had to make, he's had to take stands through the years. There are principles and convictions that uh, we in the ministry as uh, pastors, we're, we're not going to bend, we're not going to break, we're going to remain faithful in. And it makes us, sometimes the odd church out so to speak the odd preacher out so to speak but we are convinced by the lord and by his word that these are the the way things are going to be done and the way things should be done and we're going to continue to preach faithfully and have the kind of music we have and continue to have the standards we have and continue to minister the way we do because we believe it's a matter of obedience a matter of faithfulness a matter of conviction and here's an unusual military strategy but it was the right thing to do. It was the obedient thing to do. And God blessed it. And those walls came down, and then it wasn't over. Joshua chapter 10. Now it came to pass, verse number 1, when Adonizedek, king of Jerusalem, had heard how Joshua had taken Ai and had utterly destroyed it, as he had done to Jericho and her king, so he had done to Ai and her king, and how the inhabitants of Gibeon had made peace with Israel and were among them that they feared greatly because Gibeon was a great city as one of the royal cities and because it was greater than Ai and all the men thereof were mighty. And then you we can continue to read down there in verse number 3 about the other kings and the opposition that they're facing. And now it is their job to obey the Lord in the conquest of the promised land. Group after group, people after people, and we have to remember in that day, it was city-state after city-state after city-state. Many times, a walled city represented one group of people. Now, there may have been multiple cities in some cases, but a lot of times it was a major city like Jericho that represented one large group, and they would have to conquer, and it was one after another. One step of obedience after another. Now, this is something that has caused some debate through the years. I don't mean it to be controversial at all. But I believe that the land of Canaan and Israel's conquest of the land of Canaan represents the Christian life, the victorious Christian life. I know that Canaan can represent heaven, and Canaan can represent the glory land, and there's probably even songs that speak to that. But I believe that, without getting too uh, much of a debate in interpretation, but I believe that the the, the land of Canaan is representative of the victorious Christian life, the, the Christian life, and the conquest, and the obstacles, and the enemies, and the... Areas that we have to deal with in our own lives, with sin and the various oppositions that we have in our daily Christian lives. Because what did Israel have to do? They had to conquer each of these groups of people in the land of Canaan. They had to go city to city, area to area, place to place, mountain to mountain, valley to valley. And isn't that often the way the Christian life is? There's Canaanites, in a sense, everywhere we go. There's obstacles, there's valleys, there's mountains all around. There's different challenges as we go through the Christian life. And until we get to heaven and we are glorified in our bodies and we are in the very presence of God and the resurrection has taken place and the curse of sin is removed. We are always going to be dealing with the world, the flesh and the devil, aren't we? There's always going to be some Canaanite, in a sense, that's going to be out there that we are going to be involved in in some sort of spiritual conflict. It's just the way life is. I wish that I could tell you the place to go. Some monastery or some castle somewhere where we all could go as Christians and we could just hang out there and we could just have our place of... Complete, sinless perfection. No more controversies, no more enemies, no more sin. But it's not going to work, is it? It's never going to happen this side of heaven. I know there are some groups of believers through the years who have believed in some sort of sinless perfection this side of heaven. There's even some groups of Christians that say, well, at least if you get the second anointing, then you can at least eradicate the sins of, I think it's omission. You may still commit some sins, but at least you get rid of a certain group of sins in your life. And now you're on a higher spiritual plane. I don't believe that's biblical. I don't believe that we get saved and then we work real hard for a second blessing and some anointing of the Holy Spirit that takes us to a higher plane of spirituality. I don't believe that that's biblical. And I think that the Christian life is a matter of daily, faithful, spiritual disciplines. Paul talks about fighting the good fight until the end of the faith, until the end of his life, all the way down. I don't see in Scripture where Paul ever said, I've finally arrived. As a matter of fact, Paul's writing, I have not already attained. He talks about in Romans 7 the things that he wishes he, he wouldn't do, he's still doing. I see this ongoing battle. There are believers who have been saved 50, 60 years. Some of you have been saved forty, fifty, sixty years, and you're still fighting the flesh. It hasn't gone away. Now there may be there may have been some victories, and praise God, there are some habits, sin habits that have been broken. There's been victory in some areas. Uh, the the testimony of, I mean, I, I was meeting uh, saints last night who I knew as a as a kid, uh, growing up in Indianapolis and going to fine arts competitions and. Uh, seeing people at Grace Baptist last night that I knew years ago who are still faithfully serving. Many of you have that same testimony. I think of other ministries I've been in. But I've never had any of those veteran saints come to me and say, you know what? There was this day about 15 years ago when I finally arrived. And you know what? All of a sudden the battle with sin it just kind of went away. And all of a sudden I just started living in this constant state of of." tranquility, and I just didn't have to deal with sin much anymore. All the bad thoughts went away. All the temptations went away. I have never had a a, a saint, a veteran saint, come to me and say that their sin was, was gone, their sin nature had been eradicated. Now, they've had victory. They've even shown great examples of victory. They have had a pattern of life, of obedience and faithfulness. But I've had more veteran saints of many years come to me and say, keep up the fight, keep working hard, keep (laughs) preaching the word, keep being faithful because the battle isn't over. It continues until the last breath that we breathe. And that's what we are determined to do is to be faithful. And we see that in Joshua's life. Joshua 10, they're dealing with the enemies and they're just getting started. And then we go all the way to Joshua chapter 23. We go all the way to Joshua chapter 23. They get into the conquests they begin to allot the land they set up the tabernacle in shiloh they establish the cities of refuge and the places for the levites to live a lot gets done and then we get to joshua chapter 23 and this is joshua's final sermon address to the people in joshua 23 i wish we had time to read the entire chapter and it came to pass a long time after that the Lord had given rest unto Israel from all their enemies round about that Joshua waxed old and stricken in age. So they reached a point in their conquest of Canaan that God had given them a measure of peace. But there was still a lot of work to be done. There were still a lot of enemies. There were still a lot of land. There were still a lot of work. Still a lot of things that had to be done. And, again, it's a reminder. We don't ever arrive. I've talked about it. I've given the illustration many a time. There's no moving sidewalks in the Christian life. We love them at the airport. We put the luggage down, and the sidewalk takes us to the next place. They're wonderful things. But the Christian life is more like, if I can say it, a treadmill. And that treadmill keeps on going. If you stop, where are you going? If you stop on a treadmill, what happens? You go backwards, or you fall flat on your face, you get hurt, whatever, right? You hook on that little thing, so if you get yanked off, it's supposed to stop the treadmill because people can get really hurt. But here they are. They've they've been given a measure of rest. They've had a measure of victory. They've had success in their initial conquests. Joshua is now waxed old, stricken in age. In verse 2 of Joshua 23, and Joshua called for all Israel... And for their elders, and for their heads, and for their judges, and for their officers, instead of them, I am old, and stricken in age, and ye have seen all that the Lord your God hath done unto all these nations because of you, for the Lord your God is he that hath fought for you. And he goes on to talk about, Behold, I have divided unto you by lot. That's verse 4. And he continues to talk about and then in verse five, and the Lord your God He shall expel them before you and drive them out, drive them from out of your sight, and ye shall possess their land as the Lord your God has promised unto you. He says there's still more work to be done. We cannot just rest, God has given us a measure of peace, but there's more work to be done. And we're thankful for those times where we can catch our breath, where God gives us a victory, where God gives us the overcoming of a certain challenge. But the fight begins again. It just con- it comes back. There's another stage. There's another area which we have to continue to serve the Lord and be faithful. It may change. Our area of service may change. Our particular ministry or stage of life may change. But there's still work to be done. There's still areas of service, still areas of obedience and faithfulness. And Joshua says to the leaders, keep going. I'm an old man now. I'm going to pass off the scene. You're going to have to continue the fight. We could continue all the way down through chapter 23. It's a wonderful read. If you need encouragement for your soul tonight, read Joshua 23 and 24. They're wonderful chapters. They, They just reinvigorate us. He warns them about transgressing the covenant of the Lord, verse 16. And then in Joshua 24, what does he do? He renews the covenant. He takes Israel to the covenant as he's about to Go to be with the Lord, and he calls for the elders of Israel, for their heads and their judges and their officers, and they presented themselves before God. And Joshua said unto all the people, verse 2 of chapter 24, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Your fathers dwelt on the other side of the flood in old time, even Terah the father of Abraham the father of Nahor, and they served other gods. A little history lesson. I love this. One of the problems that we have in our church today, in our churches today, is we don't even know where we came from, how we got to where we're at. Oh, well, we got to do everything new. we got to try every new trend. we got to try every new style because we're the ones who really are going to do it right. Because all those old people and all those saints of the past, they didn't have a clue. We're the progressives. We're the ones who really know how to serve the Lord. Is that the way? Is that our attitude? C.S. Lewis called it, called it chronological snobbery. There's a lot of other people who come before me. I stand on the backs of many more faithful men and I am a proud and arrogant and cocky young 48-year-old preacher to think that I have now arrived on the scene and ain't nobody ever done it the way I'm going to do it because I've got it all figured out. And those guys, they were old geezers who didn't know, how, didn't know how to lead a church. No. That'd be foolish of me to act that way and to think that way. And I've met too many men my age and younger who think, all oh, those old geezers, Blood on their swords, fighting for the truths and the doctrines and the fundamentals. Ah, they didn't they didn't have it right. We've finally figured it out. No way. What was Joshua doing? He's passing it down to the elders. As Paul said to Timothy, Commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. The faith once delivered to the saints. And Joshua was saying, You are going to have to keep this going, the faithfulness to the Lord, the putting away of the idols, the keeping of the covenant. And he reminds them of all that, and we get to verse 15 of Joshua 24. And And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom ye will serve. Whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That was a commitment of Joshua's life from early on. And he's in his final days, nearing his final breath. And what is Joshua still saying? We will serve the Lord. And what is he saying? He's saying to those men in leadership, you are going to be the ones who are given this responsibility to keep this moving forward for the Lord. Still a lot of work to be done. Here's the covenant that we have made. Let's remain faithful. Let's keep serving. Now, did Joshua have some failure in his life? Sure. There was the treaty with the Gibeonites. There was when they moved ahead to Ai without seeking God first. Joshua was a man of human flesh and bleeds red blood, and he had clay feet just like you and me. He wasn't perfect, but he was a great man of God. And there are some great lessons that we can learn from the life of Joshua that we'll conclude with here in just a moment. This is just a quick map of the work that Joshua was involved in in setting up. That's a lot of land. And that's not even all the land that God promised Abraham that eventually will, in the Millennial Kingdom, Israel will occupy. And can I just say once again that Israel owns the Golan Heights, the Gaza Strip, and the West Bank. All of that belongs to Israel. It is rightfully theirs. I'm just going to keep saying it because the Golan Heights, the Gaza Strip, and the West Bank don't belong to those terrorist organizations or to the Palestinians. They belong to Israel and beyond. In the Millennial Kingdom, there will be the final or the full fulfillment of Abraham's covenant, and they will own from the River Euphrates all the way to the Nile River, and I forget the northern and southern boundaries, but they'll have all that. But this was a big job trying to, apport, uh, to apportion all this land, Joshua was involved in that. Um, I cannot imagine some of the headaches that might have been involved in getting all this worked out, but obviously he depended upon the Lord, and, and uh, we see the 12 tribes and the way God led them. But we finally conclude tonight with these lessons, and this brings us to the close of our study in the life of Joshua. We see him as a man of courage. From Joshua 1 all the way through to the end of Joshua 24, we see Joshua facing his fears, taking on the big responsibilities. And I know sometimes it is hard when God leads us to the hard thing, to the fearful thing. It is hard to step out and to get out of our comfort zone, to maybe leave mom and dad, to maybe involve ourselves in a ministry that we don't feel qualified for, to step up as a father or as a wife or a husband, to do the hard thing, but it's the right thing. It's, it's a matter of faith. It's a matter of courage. But when we obey God and we are faithful and we are obedient in that area, isn't it amazing what God does and the blessing and the joy? And we look back and we say, I'm so glad that I obeyed the Lord there. I'm so glad. As hard as it was, as difficult as it was at the moment, I'm glad that I stood by principle. I'm glad I followed the command. I lived by principle. And Joshua did that. He was a man of courage. He was a man of faith, a man of integrity. He looked at Joshua 24 and verse 15. We see that theme throughout his life. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. He was a man of responsibility. Can I put a plug in again for our young men? Don't be afraid of responsibility. I know responsibility is no fun. I know that, and there's a lot of weak, wimpy, spineless jellyfish, milk toast men out there. That's the pattern, and we are making them more worse. We are celebrating. I can't even. I'm just gonna. I'm gonna. I gotta be. I gotta be done here. But this stuff that you see on the news, we are emasculating our young men. We're feminizing our young men. The Bible says, act ye like men, be strong. That means there's a man's job and a man needs to do it. And it doesn't mean that we can't share in our responsibilities and our duties around the house. I'm not getting into all the traditional roles and all that, okay? But a man needs to be a man. He needs to step up and lead his home, be the provider and the guide and the protector and all the other things. And it's hard. Responsibility is tough. But when it's God-given... God gives the grace and the strength to do what he has commanded us and called us to do. And it's worth it in the end. And he was a spirit-led man. That's, again, ultimately what uh, directed his life. A few final lessons. Leadership begins with service. I know that goes against Fortune 500 corporate America. I know that. Because in the leadership corporate America world, it's dog eats dog. You scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. And eventually we'll climb all over each other to see who gets to the top king of the hill kind of stuff, you know. I get up top, and then you try to knock me off, that kind of thing. And then there's all the golden balloons, and you can do all kinds of kinds of manipulatives and manipulation and extortion and bribes, and, well, that represents about 95% of our politicians. And get our way to the top, and then abuse and misuse, but you got your golden parachute, golden balloon or whatever you call it, to get out. no. Leadership begins with service, humbly serving, and that begins in the home, and we can go on and on with that, but leadership begins with service. Joshua had to experience that, and that was part of his preparation. We see also that God chooses to use men and women to accomplish his will. Yes, he does have messengers, angels who are messengers, who perform some celestial duties, but God chooses to use men and women like you and me, boys and girls. Men and women like you and me. He chooses to use us. He wants to use us. And we need to be humble and willing to be used of him. God desires responsible, faith-filled servant leadership. And God uses us despite our weaknesses and failures. He wants our hearts. He wants us to be yielded to him. And that's ultimately what makes the difference. David was a little shepherd boy, but he was a man after God's own heart. Joshua was the son of none, nothing great and special that we can see in his heritage and his background, but he was a man who determined from early on that he was going to be a servant, and as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, and we see that played out in Joshua's life. Hope this has been an encouragement and a help to us. Thank you for your faithfulness, for being here tonight, and uh, we will close in prayer, then there will be a choir practice, and then if we can get some help in the fellowship hall setting up, that would be great as well. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for Joshua, for his example, for the time that you've given us to study his life. Lord, so many things that we can glean, that we can learn. Help us, Lord, uh, whether we're a man or a woman, a boy or a girl, help us, Lord, to have the kind of character and faithfulness and obedience of a Joshua. You may not call us into great areas of leadership, but all of us have influence. And may we have a godly influence on those around us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a safe trip home. We look forward to being back together on Sunday in the pitch-in and uh, afternoon service. But uh, have a great evening. And again, the fellowship hall will start setting up in there in a few minutes.